millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution and an election. Stay tuned as we analyze Canadian news and Black issues on a weekly basis. And if you like what you hear as we keep you informed about Election 44, please subscribe. On this week's episode, we review the first and only English debate that happened on September 9th. It was a shit show. Still, (laughs) we're going to break it down for you, and hopefully that will give you some perspective in the final stretch of the election. And to help us do it, joining us today is friend of the drip, Kofi Ashampong, principal lawyer and government relations advisor at Ashampong Law. As a lawyer, Kofi's practice focuses on general matters in civil administration, human rights, and criminal law. In government relations, he focuses on providing support to nonprofits and groups that traditionally lack access to government. Prior to joining Ashampong Law, he was senior policy and stakeholder relations advisor to three Ontario ministers and governments led by former premiers Dalton McGuinty and Kathleen Wynne. Kofi has extensive experience advising senior officials and office holders in public and private institutions concerning public policy, legal precedent, strategic decision making and equity issues. Most recently, he was a lead advisor to the Minister of Government and Consumer Services on the development of SME procurement, debt services legislation, and wireless communications policies. He was also lead on development of the Delegated Administrative Authority model and principal liaison assisting with the World Bank's efforts to lower global remittance fees. He also led efforts within the Ontario Liberal Party to increase diversity at various levels of the party. Prior to working with the Ontario government, Kofi was a consultant to the ED of International Lawyers and Economists Against Poverty, formerly based in Toronto. While there, he drafted memos for publications on issues pertaining to the World Trade Organization's GATS negotiations during the Doha round and and its impact on the LDCs and Africa group states. He also reviewed papers and provided analysis on economic needs tests and regional economic partnerships. Kofi completed his JD at Osgoode Hall Law School in 2010 and interned in the school's Poverty Law Intensive Program at Parkdale Community Legal Clinic, where he worked for eight months in the Workers' Rights Division. Kofi also interned at the African Union in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, in 2008, where he focused on good governance and merging of the African Court of Justice and the African Court of Human and People's Rights. Mm-hmm. A proud son of Ghana. Kofi sits on the boards of Youth Employment Services, Canadian Muslim Lawyers Association, and the Black Muslim Initiative. He's also in high demand, having appeared as a commentator on Canadian politics for the CBC, CP24, CTV, Real News, Brandon Gomez, and now The Drip. Woo! (laughs) And we're honored to have him join us. Welcome, Kofi. 
Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys, for uh, the very, very kind and generous introduction. Uh, it's an honor to be uh, with you, Curtis and Patience. Uh, you guys are uh, doing incredible work for uh, Canadian politics, for Canada's Black communities, for the millennial uh, generation. So uh, certainly an honor for me to be uh, invited to be on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Well, we've got a lot of election talk to do. So you ready to jump in? Yes, definitely. Let's do it. Do it. Well, week four of election 44 has come and gone, culminating with the only English debate of the campaign on Friday, September 9th. The debate included the leaders of all four Federalist parties, plus Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchet, who repeatedly complained about not receiving as much talking time as Trudeau, O'Toole, Singh, and Paul, <laughs> and Quebec bashing, <laughs> which he and his allies are convinced we and the rest of Canada are doing a lot of these days. The fact that both Anime Paul and Jagmeet Singh shared the stage likely made it the most diverse and representative debate in history. Mm -hmm. That said, the event excluded PPC leader Maxime Bernier, who had about 200 of his goons, I mean supporters, <laughs> outside. Good mans. I don't know about you, but I'm happy he didn't get a platform, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Going into the debate, trusted poll aggregator 338canada.com showed the Liberals were experiencing a bit of a rebound in support that translated into a 57% chance of them winning the election with 142 seats versus the Conservatives' 42% chance of winning with 134 seats. The Liberals' rebound was a combo of them recovering support in Ontario to limit their early losses, the party picking up steam in Quebec, and surprisingly, a tight race in BC between the Cons, the NDP, and the Liberals in that order. After the debate, though, Although the Liberals still looked like they'd be on track to earn the most seats, 338 showed they'd lost some momentum, which makes sense since CBC's Vote Compass showed about 32% of participants who watched the debate said they had no idea who won. Mm. Of those who did pick a winner, Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole came first with 21%, and Liberal leader Justin Trudeau came second with 18 just for context, the NDP leader Jagmeet Singh came in at 10% in fourth, and Anime Paul came in at fifth with 7%. And it's worth noting that they came in behind the, you know, separatist leader in third. Anyway, according to Vote Compass's results, about 42% of people said Thursday's debate wouldn't influence their vote compared to 30% who said it was very likely to help them make their choice. Men in particular were more likely than women to say it wouldn't change their mind at 45% compared with 39% for women. So that brings us to the moment where we break down the shit show that was the debate on Friday. What we'll do is I'll lay out the questions and we'll have kind of a roundtable discussion on our thoughts about them. So question number one, and we'll start with you, Kofi. What was the big takeaway from the debate? You have to always kind of keep in mind with these debates that depending on who you ask, uh, you're obviously going to get different answers. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there are different moments, I'd say, that are going to stand out for anybody. I'd say for me, uh, I think it was the format, uh, mm -hmm. not so much the <laughs> substance, but the format itself is kind of what I was left wondering about. And I think, I think you would have heard following the debate that uh, a lot of the media headlines surrounding it sort of concerned whether or not it was useful. Mm -hmm. A lot of attention, unfortunately, paid uh, to the host, Shachi Curl, mm -hmm. uh, and not so much the substance of the debate itself. But the format, I feel like it set up, set the tone for, um, you know, what, what could have been gained for audiences and what could have been gained really for 
uh, the leaders themselves. I thought they tried to get in a lot uh, in, a, in a very short amount of time and you know, didn't oftentimes provide the space uh, that you would have expected or hoped for rather for some of the leaders to really sort of outline uh, some of their ideas. Uh, yeah. There are oftentimes uh, moments of contrast where they would pit you know, one leader against the other or you know, have three leaders against each other uh, and asking them in effect to kind of interject mm -hmm. in the process so as to uh, make their point. So I, I feel like you know, that didn't obviously serve, uh, I think, Justin Trudeau very well. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that it was in a way sort of hard for him to kind of um, look like he wasn't really on the defensive, uh, given given the format. But uh, I'd say that it was a bit of a kind of a tour de force, if you will, mm -hmm. of multiple issues, rapid fire, and uh, a desire to kind of make it sort of viewer friendly with the effect that it, it kind of took away a little bit from uh, some of the substance that we would have hoped to have gotten in terms of the exchanges. You say it kind of failed a little bit. I'd say it totally failed, but uh, <laughs> that's certainly a question of opinion. Patience, what did you think? No, I, I agree with everything that Kofi said. And I, I think that the biggest takeaway from the debate is that Aaron O'Toole is probably the, the best leader that conservatives have had in a while. Hmm. That was my biggest takeaway. Like he, he seemed to be less evil. You know what I mean? Like he came hmm. across as <laughs> thoughtful. He came across as, you know, almost telling the truth 50% of the time. Like I, I, I was, I was pretty um, impressed by, by that. And I think, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, what we, we spoke about how Aaron O'Toole is actually younger than Trudeau, but comes across as much older mm -hmm. being on TV and, and being, you know, with other leaders, I was able to see that, you know, O'Toole is not 75 years old. Like O'Toole <laughs> is 48 and like, you know, he kind of felt, more youthful in yeah. this debate. So that was my biggest takeaway. In addition to everything that Kofi was saying, I was really, really frustrated with the format. Yeah. Um, and it was so cringy. It was just, yeah, extremely cringy. But the biggest takeaway from the debate was O'Toole for me. What about you, Curtis? I, I, I totally hear that. And I, I find your point very amusing, very interesting. Yeah, uh, to, to, to mimic uh, uh, Kofi's point in the beginning, uh, that was actually my first point as well. I mean, the debate format was terrible, especially considering that I watched the first debate. I watched part of the second debate. Um, it was f those two debates were far more conducive to debates as we know them and what uh, the kind of exchanges that you'd expect from debates. And in fact, as a result, I forget if it was the first debate or the second one, but you know, Justin Trudeau in particular, he had a very good moment. Um, other leaders had good moments too. And you compare that to what happened in the English debate where kind of nobody had good moments. And it makes pretty clear that, yeah, the formatting had a lot to do with it. Sashi Curl, I, I respect her a lot, um, but she she set the tone for the, for the debate <laughs> from the jump and not in a good way. And it was really ironic that she would say, you know, you can't jump in and blah, blah. She set the rules and then she broke her own rules. But yeah. yeah. That's, uh, yeah. it is what it is. The, the, the next biggest thing for me, though, was, I mean, there was next to nothing spoken about for people of color. I mean, there was the question that came in uh, from that one indigenous youth, and he did an excellent job asking that question. Yeah. Uh, there were some points that were made, particularly by Annemi Paul, and we're kind of going to talk about this later on between Annemi Paul and Yves-Francois Bachet. But for me, I was looking at that debate and saying, if you were waiting on this exchange to determine as a black person, which party is best going to reflect your needs or, or, or speak to your needs, you have no idea what one. 
Mm-hmm. Nah, you still have to listen to the drip, yo. You still have to listen That's, to the drip. Which is exactly my point. <laughs> it is why <laughs> organizations like us, Brandon Gomez, otherwise, it is why we are here. And so, but but seriously, um, you know, it really does pay to pay attention. And that's my big point from, from the debates. I, I find it really interesting, though, because, you know, I was listening to analysis and, and I f- kind of found this myself, that one of the reasons why O'Toole was able to perform the best was because unlike what typically happens uh, at debates, the conservative wasn't the one who was squarely under attack. Mm-hmm. Right. We saw that the liberal Justin Justin Trudeau, he was the one who had to defend records. He was the one who had to defend, for example, the fact that we're even having an election at this time. Yeah. And he was hurting for it. Right. So that's one point. On the other side, um, you know, I do consistent reading, particularly about the conservative party. I don't know. Maybe I'm infatuated with them somehow. But anyway, <laughs> it's PTSD. Oh, it's post-traumatic stress disorder. <laughs> <laughs> But what I was going to say is, you know, um, the party is kind of, there are many in the party, in the conservative party right now that are actually uncomfortable with the progressive direction that Aaron O'Toole is taking the party right now. And they're, they're keeping their mouth shut until they see what the end result is on September 20th. The point I'm making is if September 20th comes and goes and Aaron O'Toole does not win the prime minister's office, He's gone. But more importantly, what's likely going to happen is that party is going to shift back hard right real fast. What do you guys think about that? Like you're saying that they're keeping quiet, but I, I think that that's why we we're seeing Bernier's party, PPC, pick up a little bit of steam, too. Mm-hmm. Because people are like, yo, what are you talking about, O'Toole? That's not what I believe. <laughs> yeah. You know, particularly around this whole gun situation, right, that we, we spoke about last week and that has kind of been in and out of the news. Um, mm-hmm. O'Toole's not being as clear as Bernier on reopening this and repealing this gun legislation. Mm-hmm. So I think people are, are being quiet, but they're quietly tipping toward the, that, that purple sign, fam. And, and, and I think that that, that might you know, be just as threatening as him losing the leadership is that people just m- make a hard, hard right before the election rather than after the election. Yeah, to your point, Patience, I looked at the data just before this recording and um, the PPC is on the rise <laughs> yeah. and the conservatives are dropping. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, that's, that's interesting. I mean, um, you can see O'Toole trying to walk a very fine line, obviously, right, with climate mm-hmm. change, uh, even around vaccine mandates, um, abortion, you know, abortion, you know, like you can see, you know, he has he has, you know, he he he, he won by appealing to social conservatives. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. He became he became the leader because of the fact that, you know, he had this kind of social conservative, um, you know, sort of messaging. Um, uh, and, but to be quite honest with you, there are people who felt like he did that strategically. And then as soon as he became leader, he started to shift back to the, back to the center. Right. Right. Because he wasn't going to out progressive Peter McKay. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Who, who was kind of known as a bit of a red Tory in some, in some respects, right. Uh, a bit mm-hmm. of a rational, a rational guy liked by a lot of centrists and, and, you know, he, and, and O'Toole was kind of able to kind of tap into a bit of the frustration from conservatives during their, uh, their, their leadership race. But, you know, it's, it's funny because, you know, they say in national campaigns, particularly with the liberals, right, you, you campaign to the left and you govern to the right. Yeah. When you, but when you're, when you're doing leadership debates, you know, uh, sorry, leadership races, like sometimes, you know, you, you campaign to the right and govern to the left. So it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's kind of the switch uh, for him uh, a little bit in that respect. And there are really a lot of people who are getting behind the PPC because of the whole 
uh, sort of anti-vaxxer movement, this kind of tired constituency with government telling them what to do, mm-hmm. feeling like, you know, they're losing out on, you know, their life, their livelihood, their social lives, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I feel like Maxime Bernier has been able to tap into that, obviously, without really putting out much in terms of substance. I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't. I think it's just really just that all parties to some extent tap into emotion and, and are, are rightly, uh, are right to do so. Uh, but that that party is going to receive a surge as people kind of tire with, I think, big government, you know, lording over them and trying to tell them that they don't have any choice and kind of shutting down, you know, their everyday reality. So uh, not surprised by that. I, I really do wonder, though, um, you know, how much they can eat into the conservative uh, vote um, and uh, if that has any real uh, repercussions, uh, you know, uh, for them down the line. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Well, to to just respond to what you're saying, Kofi, I don't think it needs to eat in that much, right? All, All they need is like... 7%, 8% 7%, 8% of the of, of that vote, of the what would traditionally be the conservative vote. And yes. like they're not gonna get the minority. I don't think that necessarily that the that the conservatives are en route to a majority. So let's just discount that. So they're not gonna get that. They're definitely yeah. not. For a minority, like yeah, if, if they if eight percent of the vote of their vote is going to the PPC, they're they're out, right? So it's such a close race. Pivoting a little bit back to Trudeau uh, and his performance. I mean, he, he was under a lot of pressure, probably the most pressure to deliver a knockout, and he obviously did not. We kind of talked about one of the reasons why he may not be in the, the debate format, but any other perspective on why you think he couldn't get it over the finish line? I think we have to always remember, like, debates in Quebec are, are very different than kind of these sort of English-Canada debates, right? Quebec mm-hmm. is, a, is, a, is a world on its own in Canada, and mm-hmm. and... Trudeau knows how to speak to that audience and, and understands that, you know, politically, the way Quebec views itself within Canada and as part of, you know, the Federation really is, is, is different. So he can, he can in many ways kind of get away from having to worry about certain questions that uh, I think were central to the English debate, primarily being, why are we having this election? There's no good answer for him <laughs> with that question. That question, to me, is what is putting him on his back heel on everything he's trying to describe as a success for his party mm-hmm. and trying to put forward as a rationale for why they need to be back in power, right? Mm-hmm. If you're here to tell me that you guys have the best plan, well, then weren't you implementing that? Right. Right. If you're here, if you're here to tell me that the, the conservatives are, are threatening to rip up, you know, our recovery, then why did you put us back into that position? Exactly. Right? So it, it's it's really a question that like makes it hard for him to stand on his laurels. I mean, he his government has done really well. I mean, I think you know you know they obviously thought like they could get away with an election like you know the NDP did in BC, 
mm-hmm. because of good polling numbers, and and people would people would still respond to them and feel like, yeah, you guys deserve deserve a majority. A complete and potentially historical misreading. Yes, right. <laughs> like like really massive, massive misreading, and you you wonder. I mean, like, did you guys forget that you know you are governing by the like by the smallest minority? I think in Canadian history, arguably. Right. Uh, you know, that you, you've lost the majority in 2015, right? You're in a minority government and you have two years to finish your mandate six months outside of putting forward your first comprehensive budget, right? Uh, after getting elected. It doesn't hold water, the, the mm-hmm. argument that, listen, we, we had to stop and dissolve government and, and ask voters to give us their opinion on whose plan is best. If you already had the best plan and you just demonstrated that by your budget, which just passed, just do it. Fam. what was the rationale for, for, for plunging us into this election? And now you're defending your record on the back heel, whereas you could have been defending your record on, on your tippy toes strongly with your chest high. Uh, if someone if this was a, you know, a, a mandatory election or if somebody forced you to go like it really feels like to me, that's the central question. And that's what he's having a tough time getting past. Right. So yeah. to me, that's that to me is ultimately what set up the, the sort of the win really for O'Toole and the blows that he keeps taking, obviously, from Jagmeet and uh, and from uh, Anime Paul, who I think also performed uh, quite well during the debate as well. You know, Kofi just said that he thinks that Anime Paul performed really, really well as well as, as O'Toole in, in this uh, English debate. So question number four. What were your thoughts on the exchange between Yves-Francois Blanchet and Anime Paul when Anime offered to educate him after he compared calling out racism to Quebec bashing? Yeah, I thought, I mean, I thought that was very interesting because Shashi Curl's question to, you know, the first question she asked to Yves-Francois Blanchet, like really set the tone for him, I think, in terms of how he was going to respond to anything that insinuated Quebecers are racist or anything like that. So he, I think, already had his backup. And of course, I mean, he has he has a role to play here. Right. And he's, he's going to play that role. But there are times when I think you can expect him to let a little bit of sunshine into the cloud of this issue by speaking a bit of truth to power here. Right. Right. And that was that, all of that was gone by the way in which he he kind of felt like this whole format. And of course, he kept complaining, right, that I, I wasn't getting a chance to speak and, and, mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. But um yeah, it was, it was interesting because, you know, even here afterwards, you know, they asked the leaders about the question that Shashi Kuro had asked Yves-François Blanchet. And he says, uh, they said, you know, you know, is Bill 21 and I think it's Bill 96, French language, is it, you know, are these things racist? And nobody, nobody wants to say that. You can understand right. why nobody, you know, in their right mind wants to say that. Uh, right. All these leaders, right? You know, uh, even Jagmeet doesn't want to say that. And it's very equivocal on, on this issue and has been for quite a while. Anime Paul, I think, came the closest, of course, to saying outright, yes, we, I believe this is racist and, and prima facie, to borrow a legal term, discriminatory, right? Right. Mm-hmm. right. And she, I think, could have um, turned the question uh, around a little bit better than Shashi Kuro had asked it by referencing, I think it's the uh, Quebec, uh, um, I'm not sure if it's the Court of Appeal or Superior Court's decision, you know, in effect, explicitly stating that, look, this, this on its face, this thing violates people's constitutional rights, section two, mm-hmm. section seven, section 15 of the charter, it does constitute uh, discrimination, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's not her saying that, that's what the a Quebec judge said on right. its face. Now, yeah. That didn't uh, prevent the, that didn't strike down, you know, in particular when it comes to Bill 21, that didn't, that didn't strike it down, but you're not comparing apples to oranges when you say explicitly, you know, on its face, yeah, you know, legally it, it's discriminatory, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and if that's what she was trying to say to him, listen, I'm not saying you're a racist. I'm not saying Quebecers are racist. That's absurd. Mm-hmm. 
you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're, we have to be honest here and, and, and be truthful. Otherwise, we're not being fair to the integrity of the legal process, to the, to the litigants, right? Uh, and to even to even even reflecting the reality of what the courts have said, and then on his face, it's discriminatory. So I think she could have used her her sort of legal chumps in a way to turn it turn that question around and speak in a bit more of a of a dispassionate, unemotional, technical level. And I think that was that's I think what she she could have gotten across. But when you say I'm going to educate you, there's a bit of a presumption of 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 you know I know better than you. Mm. And I think I think that's where you know it doesn't come across very well on a forum like that. But I mean I mean let's be honest. I think we all understood you know the context of what she was saying um, up. and what Mr. Blanchett was trying to um, uh, avoid acknowledging. Right. Straight up, what, one of the things that I acknowledge about that exchange is um, there's there's actually a few things. One. In the last debate, it was Jagmeet Singh who was adopting this position that Adam Paul is now in. And it was kind of interesting to note that even on the stage, Jagmeet Singh, at least from what I saw, he didn't even try to interject, almost to say, you know, he he acknowledges that this is her, perhaps, mm-hmm. um, area of expertise more than it is for him. Not that, obviously, he's a person of color. Obviously, he's faced racism. Obviously, he's done a fantastic job speaking to those issues. But mm-hmm. Right. She, she just goes a step further. That's one. The second thing, though, is that honestly, enemy's comment about having to educate Yves-Francois Blanchet. Of course, it's condescending. But the reality is that she, you know, to your point, Kofi, she, she could have made a more or a less impassioned plea with stats and figures, etc. And I, I don't think that would have moved the needle either. And my position on that, the reason why I reached that conclusion is, is looking at the data and looking at the, the feedback or the, the reception that many in Quebec had to that exchange. I mean, the three of us here, probably most in uh, in Ontario, most across Canada, who are anti-racist, they heard Anime's response and they said, "Yeah, that that I I'm, I I respond I respect that. I support Anime's position in that exchange." But that position deeply, deeply hurt her in Quebec, and it will help. Uh, rather, it will hurt any leader who adopts that position. To your point, Kofi, that's why every leader. I mean, it's a part of the reason why any leader every leader has said you know quebec isn't racist and you know there's this deflection of of what they call quebec bashing right yeah there are benefits and there are downsides to being the leader of the green party one of the benefits is that you know you're not going to get like that much in particularly not in in quebec so i think she's the only leader who could do that like she's the only she's the only person who has uh, so, such such kind of low expectations. Nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. As she said herself, yeah. She so you're the only one who can say, "Yo, I'm a black woman. I'm a Jewish woman. Yeah. Um, I, I, this is not okay." And it'll help her elsewhere, yeah. right? Because everyone else is like, "Duh!" Like Rule <laughs> Twenty One is unconstitutional. Yeah. Tell them what it is instead of you know, kind of having to bow and talk about you know the the ways that it's good or the ways that, that we have to move forward and speaking in all those kind of like allegories, like, like she can, she's the only one who has the ability to talk straight. I I think that women everywhere, black people everywhere watched her with a lot of pride. Not as, not as like, I want you to be my next prime minister, but this is the best thing that has ever happened to the green party. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, again, I, you know, like I said earlier, I think I think she performed very well. I mean, let's I mean, to be fair, I mean, like you kind of have you, you don't know what to expect. Right. It's kind of like what Jagmeet what happened with Jagmeet last time. People had kind of low expectations of him and he surprised you. Right. 
Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. as time wears on, you listen more, you listen closely, right? And you, mm-hmm. you see, okay, is this, does this person really have substance to them? Or, you know, because their shtick is going to get old, you know? Uh, yeah, Jagmeet's yeah. shtick has kind of, you know, love and courage and, you know, you know, uh, you know we got to get rid of Trudeau. And, you know, he, he says one thing and does the other. That, that rhetoric is getting old now, right? Jagmeet, yeah, yeah. we want to know what your plans are, right? We want to know, can you articulate competently your vision uh, of, 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 of what kind of policies we need to put in place for climate change on affordable housing, right? We're, right. We, we understand, we get it. We understand, you know, what your mantra is, what your ethics are. Now the question is, can you demonstrate to us, can you speak to us in a way that reinforces to us like, yeah, this person is a good problem solver, right? They're not right. just somebody who's telling us, hey, this guy over here is bad or he's a hypocrite. Like, we want to know what you have to say now. And, and in, in some ways, I think that's his hurdle and I don't think that's his strength. Right, mm-hmm. anime, yeah. a- anime as well. I think you know, you know, people probably people. No, nobody knows her. She's been mired in controversy, her own caucus, uh, you know, uh, infighting, her own um, party infighting. People had low expectations of her, and she surprised. Mm-hmm. Right, she 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 performed well. She was composed. Uh, she brought in a different element that you don't you don't you don't we don't have. We've never had in uh, right. in Canadian politics. So, in a way, in a way, like you know, she she could only go up. In my opinion, the question, of yeah. course, the question, of course, is after this uh, and the more in which she's forced to, to articulate a vision, forced to reconcile, uh, you know, positions and contradictions uh, of which there are many. I think you'll you'll start to see whether or not people really view her view her as, you know, somebody who can really galvanize, you know, the Green Party, which for all intents and purposes, like was on the move last election. Right. Was really mm, yeah. was really, uh, you know, a party like, you know, capturing um people's attention on, on, on climate issues. So I, I think she did well. I mean, um, you know, every part, every politician, every leader is in a very difficult situation when you talk about Quebec. Uh, and Jagmeet, notwithstanding the fact that he's a turban wearing lawyer who could not practice in Quebec, he could not be a judge in Quebec whilst wearing his turban. Mm-hmm. He has to speak very carefully about, about Quebec, right? When it, when it comes That's to right. and, and, and Bill 21. Uh, he'll he'll say I sympathize. I believe it's I don't like the bill. He might say, or you know, I do believe it's discriminatory to some extent. But he be, he has to be very careful about leaving it there alone. And I think that's why uh, I think following the following the debate, he said, you know, we shouldn't just single out Quebec alone. We have systemic racism everywhere, right? Yeah. Uh, which is a good answer, but you know, I think I think it's it's clearly the the bit of a politically correct answer, uh, so as to show yes. that you're not you're not singling out Quebec, right? So. Yeah, I guess we'll. Uh... We'll figure out what people think of Anime Paul. We'll figure out what people think more of Jagmeet Singh as time goes on. As Anime Paul said herself on election night, them things that soon come. Soon come! (laughs) (laughs) Them things that soon come. (laughs) Hey, everybody. We hope you enjoyed part one of episode 68, where patients, distinguished lawyer and government relations strategist Kofi Ashampong and I shared our biggest takeaways from the debate, our thoughts on who won it, and more. Be sure to listen to part two, where we address why the hell the debate never spoke to young Canadians, despite us being the largest voting bloc, and the chances of a Prime Minister O'Toole? Also... If you don't know, we launched the Afro-Canadian Political Literacy Foundation on August 16th. Our mission is to improve political literacy among black and allied millennials and to advocate for policy that reflects our socioeconomic needs. And we'll be using numerous tools to do it, including this podcast. Check us out at acplf.org 
and sign up for our newsletter so we can keep you informed. And as always, thanks for listening. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.